Welcome to Business Line's State of the Economy podcast, where you will find insight, analysis, and the story behind the numbers. Hey there! Welcome to the BL State of the Economy podcast. I am Shrivats from Business Line, and today we have a very interesting topic at hand, which is CCI's draft settlement and commitment regulations. The Competition Commission of India recently issued draft regulations for settlements and commitments framework in the public domain for stakeholders feedback. This is part of the government's larger objective of ensuring faster market corrections. These two sets of draft regulations have been prepared by CCI in tune with the recent changes affected in the competition act earlier this year the draft settlement and commitment regulations for the indian competition law represent a significant development in the country's legal landscape these draft regulations aim to streamline and enhance the enforcement of competition laws in india Business Line spoke to Samir Gandhi partner and co-founder Axiom Phi Law Chambers in our BL State of the Economy podcast to get a deep dive into the proposed settlement and commitment mechanism its comparison with the foreign jurisdictions and understand from his perspective the disappointments if any at the draft stage Welcome Samir to the State of the Economy podcast. To begin with I would like you to help us understand what exactly is a commitment and what exactly is a settlement and how do you see them being the sort of game changer in how corporates view it and how is it going to make life easy for corporates? it's always a bit difficult when you ask a, a lawyer to break down things but let me give that a shot i think to start with you're absolutely right the settlements and commitments mechanism uh, which was of course introduced through the competition amendment act of 2023 earlier this year is in many ways a game changer shivas uh the reason why i say this is because for the 13 or 14 odd years of competition law enforcement in india uh what had begun to happen was it had become highly litigious uh it was very contentious uh, you know there were some uh, very high stakes matters which uh, were stuck in protracted appeal before the national company law appellate tribunal before the high courts uh before the supreme court and it was taking you know anywhere between uh 7 to 11 years in fact even more in some cases to actually address the market issues that were being raised in these cases so there was a very formalistic system of an information being filed the cci investigating finding a contravention imposing a penalty and then it was really being stuck in a situation of limbo now what the settlements and commitments mechanism does in that context is really to introduce a method through which instead of going through this protracted 
litigation and a system by which you know the penalties are recovered and the markets are actually corrected it allows the parties who are being investigated by the competition commission of india to go forward and suggest to the commission that look uh, let us try and arrive at a mutually agreeable solution whereby markets can be rectified and we will assure you that we will change our behavior uh, such that you know there is no protracted uh, litigation markets are corrected quickly and it is in many ways uh, she was a win win for both the regulator and the regulated so i think it is very much a game changer it is something that was uh, raised in the competition law review committee uh, you know in 2019 and thereafter uh, both the standing committee as well as the union parliament thought it fit to introduce these provisions and of course now the competition commission of india has recently circulated a set of draft regulations the regulations will be the nuts and bolts which tell us how you can offer a settlement how you can offer a commitment what are the terms for you to do so so on and so forth so that in a nutshell is what the settlements and commitments mechanism uh, for competition law is aimed uh, at achieving shiva great thank you samir for that you know for the benefit of our listeners can you uh, uh, deep dive into what is the difference between settlement and commitment absolutely so that's a, a great question and i think uh, you know again one has to take a step back and look at what the intent of this mechanism uh, is uh, the intent of course is to allow parties uh, during the course of an investigation to actually come to the competition commission and arrive at some sort of a mutually agreeable situation or a settlement or a commitment now what happens here is that the at the time at which the cci's investigation commences uh, parties have only a commencement or what we call an initiation order where they know that they are being investigated the commitment mechanism allows parties to come forward and suggest to the commission that we note that you have started the process of an investigation instead of going through a protracted investigation we note that there are some competition concerns with our behavior and uh, let us try and arrive at a mutually accept acceptable solution to these allegations and the party will offer a so called commitment such that the cci may either agree to accept it or disagree but it's important to note that the commitment mechanism the gun is fired in some sense the starting point for offering a commitment is from the initiation of a cci investigation and the uh, the current draft regulations allow a party to offer a commitment until 45 days from the initiation of this investigation with a potential grace period of another 30 days so that's 75 days from the date of starting an investigation parties can offer a commitment important to note here however that this 75 day period has come in for some criticism but we'll come back to that in a moment 
So to start with, commitments can be offered at the time at which an investigation is initiated. Contrasted with a settlement, a settlement can be offered once the director general has completed its investigation, has invariably or variably found a, an infringement, and before the matter is finally heard and concluded, i.e., the commission actually arrives at a formal finding of infringement, parties have another bite at this apple. They can go to the commission again and saying, yes, we did not think that, uh, you know, we required to offer a commitment, but it seems that the director general, after its investigation has uh, arrived at some kind of a finding that there could be a contravention, before the commission finally determines whether there has been or there has not been a contravention, let us offer a settlement. And here the difference between a settlement and the commitment which you could offer earlier is that the settlement is incumbent on the payment of a certain settlement fee. So the parties needs to provide a certain fee to the competition uh, commission. And in addition to that, they obviously need to change their business behavior, uh, which, for example, the director general may have found to have contravened the provisions of the act. So in a nutshell, again, Shivat's key difference between settlement and commitment is really the time at which you offer a commitment, which is before the completion of the DG's investigation, or a settlement, which is after the DG's investigation, but before a final finding of infringement. Secondly, a commitment does not entail any payment of any fee. It is a unilateral or a, a negotiated settlement arrived at a to address a competition law issue. Whereas a settlement involves the payment of a certain fee uh, and as well as change in the corporate behavior. So that in a nutshell is the difference between these two. Now, there is a perception that uh, CCI has been quite progressive in not requiring admission of guilt to opt for a commitment or a settlement. What is your take on that and uh, how is it significant? Yes, Shivats, I think the confusion here comes from perhaps a reading of the provisions of the Amendment Act contained in the uh, Competition Amendment Act of 2023, wherein Section 48A, subclause 3 of the amended Act, which of course covers settlements, seem to suggest that the Commission would at the time of considering whether to settle a matter or not, look into the nature, the gravity and the impact of the contravention. So the word used in section 48A subclause 3 was for a settlement, there is a possibility of a contravention, right? That is, of course, to be distinguished, which the provisions of section 48B which speaks about commitments and the corresponding subsection there uses the word, the impact of the alleged contraventions. So some commentators had on a reading of the provisions of the uh, Competition Amendment uh, Act had actually suggested that the distinction therefore between settlements and commitments was 
that a settlement would involve a contravention, i.e. an infringement, and a, uh, what you may call it, a commitment would be an alleged contravention. In other words, there was no actual finding of infringement. However, the Competition Commission, and I believe quite rightfully so, has in the draft regulations on settlements made it quite clear that the nature of a settlement is not or does not require any admission that there has been a contravention. The reason why I think that that's particularly useful is bear in mind, Srivats, and I know we didn't really touch on that earlier, but bear in mind that an order of settlement, unlike, for example, a commitment, is or can be the subject of a, a claim for compensation. Right. So under Section 53N of the Competition Act, settlement orders, so where parties have settled, and this is a key distinction actually which I omitted to mention earlier, uh, where parties offer a settlement, these are open to follow-on claims of compensation uh, by those who are affected by such an order. Now that is contained in the newly amended Section 53N. So the reason why I think it's particularly useful that the Commission has clarified that a settlement does not require an assessment or an admission of, uh, of guilt or of contravention is because there is a separate category which is created under Section 53N for orders under Section 48A. To put it simply, Srivats, without splitting hairs as we lawyers tend to do, uh, awarding compensation now has two categories. A, if you have committed an offence under the Competition Act. B, if you have or, uh, arrived at a settlement order, which is not technically speaking a contravention of the Competition Act, you are still eligible to claim compensation from the so-called uh, party who has offered the settlement or alternatively has uh, uh, contravened the provisions of the Competition Act. So I think uh, the distinction is quite clear between Section 48A and 48B regarding the need to uh, you know, assume that there has been some contravention. Uh, it's now very clear that there is no contravention which is uh, required. And I think the settlement draft settlement regulations uh, are a welcome or provide a welcome clarification in that regard, giving the slightly confusing language contained in the statute itself. You feel it's a progressive move vis-a-vis uh, -vis what other jurisdictions have laid in this regard? Certainly, Srivats. I think it is, at the end of the day, of course, we need to look at global practice, but I think there is a larger context here, even in India, we need to make a settlement something which is attractive to a party offering the settlement. We have to incentivize uh, parties to go for a settlement. If there was a clear admission of guilt or of contravention, I think parties would think long and hard before offering a settlement agreement. They would rather uh, litigate this before courts, which is exactly what the Competition Commission wants to uh, try and avoid, as do parties. So, I mean, I'm playing the devil's advocate. Uh, do you think it will close the door for class action against 
corporate misconduct no on the contrary shivat i would have agreed with you uh, mm. had it not been for the amendment also to the corresponding provision which allows i would hesitate to call it class action but mm. i would certainly call it a compensation litigation right i agree with you it would have closed the door for awarding compensation had it mm. not been because of course before the amendment to the competition act you could only claim contraventions where the competition commission had found a contravention right now if you remove the finding of contravention for a settlement then you're right the door would have closed for any kind of compensation claims from a settlement application but instead the framers of the competition act have taken care to include specifically by reference through amendment section 48a so you see shivats even though 48a which talks about settlements no longer requires a finding of contravention orders of settlement can still result in awards of compensation under section 53n because of the amendment made to that provision so i think this is a bit of a misnomer i don't think that uh, you know even playing the devil's advocate as one should by all means when looking at amendments to the law one must look at this from the perspective of both the regulator and the regulated uh, i strongly believe that because of the amendment uh, this has not closed the door to claims for compensation from settlement applications i think that in fact has been built in uh, through amendment so one of the uh, issues which uh, need some clarity i suppose is can settlement and commitment orders be challenged before appellate forums the reason why the competition commission has and in fact the government of india has introduced these provisions is to preclude the protracted litigation now it's the same thing now if you think about conventional litigation we had introduced arbitration arbitration clauses were a form of alternate dispute resolution whereby you did not get stuck in the logjam of courts right so it's an alternative channel altogether similarly the settlements and commitments process would indeed get stuck in the very same logjam of appellate review and you know uh, subsequent supreme court appeal etc etc if the orders of settlement or commitment were subject to appeal so i, I think there is a delicate balancing act over here uh, you know where both the commission the parties and the public need to acknowledge that at the end of the day there is something to be said about uh, you know parties uh, quickly changing their behavior paying the penalties uh, you know and uh, changing the conditions of the market rather than litigating it through appeal and thereafter that in the supreme court which can take anywhere between 10 to 11 years the you know the early cases including you know cement cartel dlf etc these are all still stuck in before the supreme court in appellate review so i think there is a strong public policy imperative uh, which requires settlements and commitments to terminate legal proceedings if you know they are they are satisfactory for both the commission as well as for the parties and incidentally shivats if you are a third party and if you are affected by a so called settlement order or uh, for that matter a commitment uh, that has been offered 
uh, bear in mind that the uh, you know the law and the regulations allow the cci to seek comments from third parties and the public at large before finalizing the commitment and settlement so if you are a third party and if you are concerned that the settlement or the commitment will still not address your competition concern uh, then you will have a voice uh, however that voice does not extend to appealing an order to an appellate court and thereafter the supreme court because that would defeat the very purpose for which this entire mechanism has been created so in some and substance the access to an appellate forum is not there the access to an appellate forum is not there from an order of settlement or uh, commitment that is correct and as i mentioned this is in keeping with the philosophy of why one introduces such a mechanism in the first place it is to but truncate so. litigation not to extend it got that yes will this framework apply for pending enquiries no thank you shivats and that is an excellent question uh, you know this is something that has occupied uh, personally my mind as well and and at the time at which the act itself uh, was framed we had done some research on this aspect and 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 considered that this was certainly something that needs to be addressed and let me tell you why as your question kind of indicates the ability to offer for a party to offer a commitment ceases if you were to go by the draft regulations 75 days after the investigation has been initiated if you were to go by the act itself it would cease uh, on the day on which the parties receive a copy of the director general's report in any situation the ability for a party who is currently being investigated between for example april of 2023 and we are now in october of 2023 right the moment they either receive the director general's report or the moment that 75 days has concluded from the day on which the investigation started they become ineligible to offer a uh, commitment this leads to a slightly anomalous situation whereby as a party you know that the law has been amended from april you know that technically speaking you have a statutory right and an enabling provision for you to be able to offer a commitment but simply because the law has not been enforced as yet in other words it has not been notified uh, you lose that ability because either your 75 days has concluded or you have received a copy of the dg's report now it is to address this uh, you know slight unfairness and bear in mind this is equally unfair to the competition commission because the commission itself might be willing to consider commitments in several ongoing uh, you know investigations uh, so it is uh, i think that uh, you know a case should and can be made uh, for some sort of a grandfathering provision whereby any investigation which was ongoing uh, at the time at which you know the competition amendment act uh, was signed and passed by both houses of parliament in april you know any uh, such investigation should continue to have the party should continue to have the right to provide a commitment in those investigations even if 75 days has elapsed or uh, they have received a copy of the dg's report 
it's a it's a one time kind of transitional benefit which is available uh, because of the you know lag between enactment and notification or enforcement of this particular act so i think that would be keeping in 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 spirit with uh, in spirit with what the parliament intended uh, that would also uh, entitle both the commission as well as parties who are being investigated uh, a right to offer commitments and not simply go by the formalistic date uh, contained uh, you know in the regulations and in the act so i do genuinely think that such an enabling provision uh, is is much needed so can this be introduced at the subordinate legislation level in the regulations in indeed it can be uh, shivat i think uh, you know there are many ways in which uh, this can be uh, drafted uh, one of them would be a simple uh, you know extension of uh, time or eligibility uh, you know in the current regulations whereby uh, you know investigations which were ongoing uh, or the date of the enactment of this uh, amendment in 2023 all such investigations uh, may continue to provide uh, commitments notwithstanding the lapse of the 45 plus 30 day timeline contained in the regulations or uh, hopefully that 45 plus 30 day uh, timeline contained in the regulations uh, will be modified you know many people have given comments as to uh, uh, as to why that is too short uh, it should also the right to offer a commitment should extend up to any such time that the dg's uh, report has uh, been received uh, or the third formulation could be that if a party has indicated its intent to offer a commitment then that indication of intent in itself should be considered notwithstanding the date on which this provision is uh, finally enforced so there are two or three ways in which this can be achieved shivats but i think it's important that the sentiment of what we are trying to uh, do over here uh, be acknowledged by both the regulator and the regulated because this is ultimately going to benefit both sure so my last question samir how is the settlement framework in india different from foreign jurisdictions and do you think since india is looking to introduce this now are we coming up with a framework which is much better than those in the foreign jurisdictions right she was look i mean to start with i should say that at the end of the day we need to introduce that settlement and commitments mechanism in india which is fit for purpose in india right uh, but equally there is no point in reinventing the wheel we must look at global best practices when we when we do so and i think the you know single biggest standout point uh, on which you know many people have spoken uh, including me is that perhaps you know leaving cartels out from within the scope of settlements is really uh, a missed opportunity or for that matter uh, you know settlements and commitments i think it's important that uh, you know the government should have or the parliament should have considered you know even the recommendations of the standing committee on finance uh, led by uh, shri uh, jain sinha which had recommended to, uh, to include cartels and you know cartels are included as part of uh, the settlements and commitments mechanism in various other jurisdictions india has for its own public policy uh, reasons decided to omit cartels 
So I think that is a, a missed opportunity, particularly given that, you know, a number of cases, uh, you know, the legacy cases which are still stuck in litigation, a number, a vast quantity of the penalties imposed by the CCI, which is yet to be recovered, are really in cartel cases. So I think uh, to uh, the one part, you know, where I feel strongly is that, you know, globally as well, there are numerous jurisdictions who take different approaches, but at least in Europe and uh, even to some extent in the United States, you know, you can... Uh, the settlements and commitments mechanism does uh, extend to cartels and 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 for us not to do so is in my view at least a bit of a missed opportunity is this because uh, uh, india wants to keep within its scope only horizontal i mean only vertical agreements is that the reason the settlements and uh, and commitments mechanism and i'm sorry we should have emphasized this right at the beginning of our program which is that both settlements and commitments can be offered only for uh, you know sections 3 3 sub clause 4 and 4 so yeah. you can offer them for vertical restraints you can offer them for abuse of dominance but you cannot offer them for cartels and I think, Shivats, you know, if you were to look at the deliberations before the standing committee, before I, which I appeared, uh, it would seem that there was a, a a pretty significant push to include, you know, cartels within the ambit. And the only reason I can imagine that uh, the, the the government in its wisdom or the parliament in its wisdom decided not to include cartels is because cartels are considered to be the most egregious form of anti-competitive behavior. And it should not be that a party can enter into a cartel, uh, receive its benefits and thereafter uh, offer either a settlement or a commitment and, and get away. I think that was the, the perception or the public policy kind of imper imperative which led our uh, parliament to make a you know a slight tweak or a departure from what, is ha what happens in, uh, in, in other jurisdictions. Uh, I can't. I can't speculate as to what more could have been the reason, since very clearly uh, the standing committee uh, did, in fact, recommend the inclusion of cartels. So uh, that is is going to continue to be an enigma. But very quickly, if I may, Shrivats, I mean, you know, just in comparison to other foreign jurisdictions, you ask that question, and I think one of the key issues with the draft settlement and commitment regulations, respectively, has really been that settlement applicant or the commitment applicant, the information that they provide uh, in order to try and arrive at a settlement or a commitment is made in good faith. It's bona fide. It's an effort to try and settle a matter or to offer a commitment and complete the matter, right? Uh, the draft regulations seem to indicate that that very information which is provided, uh, you know, can be used uh, against the party providing it uh, if they are unable to come to uh, a settlement agreement or a commitment uh, terms of co commitment. I think this is really uh, shooting ourselves in the foot as the competition commission, uh, because of course we have to incentivize parties to come forward and offer these bona fide applications for both settlement and commitment. And by allowing uh, the competition commission to use this very information as evidence against the party who is providing it itself, in a bona fide good faith effort at uh, you know arriving at a settlement i have a feeling that what we are doing is you know creating a strong disincentive for parties to even consider this route right we should be uh, you know in some sense laying out the red carpet because uh, it's not just uh, beneficial for the uh, the parties it is beneficial for us as the competition commission as well and it's useful france to name a few 
do not mm-hmm. allow the regulator to use the information contained in the application as evidence against them so i think this is a this is an important departure from global practice uh, mm-hmm. which uh, the commission should should seriously reconsider is it because that cartels have a window of leniency plus that they are now being excluded from this so that's an interesting question it is true that cartels do have a leniency mechanism but whereby parties who would like to uh, benefit from a penalty reduction can approach the competition commission and and admit that there has been guilt if your question is that is that perhaps one of the reasons why cartels has been left out so that it does not the settlements and commitments mechanism does not eat into the success of the leniency program there yeah. you know i strongly believe uh, shivats the proof of the pudding is in its eating right we have to look at the statistics from other jurisdictions who have included cartels within settlements and commitments and have had a leniency program and then looked at it statistically and said that has the introduction of settlements and commitments eaten into the incentive to offer a leniency and the answer if you were to look at the european commission which in many ways is very uh, our indian uh, competition commission is closely modeled on and we borrow a lot from the europeans if you look at the european commission uh, i think the the statistics are very clear even with a settlements and commitments mechanism which includes uh, you know cartels the leniency program there has flourished and there is no evidence uh, you know anecdotally or for that matter statistically to indicate that one comes at the cost of the other if anything there has been a recent slowdown of leniency applications in europe which arise as a result of the follow on claims for compensation so follow on claims from compensation could have a dampening effect on leniency whereas settlements and commitments even if they extend to cartels are unlikely to is the learning from uh, the european experience thank you samir and thank you for those wonderful insights and perspective on settlement and commitment regulations so uh, hope to be in touch in future as well thank you so much You're welcome Shivats thank you for having me uh, for yet another very engaging conversation and and I hope your listeners have been entertained in the course of the last few minutes 